Hi, and welcome to I Think You're Interesting. I'm Todd Vandorf, the I, and I Think You're Interesting. If you've been watching, well, basically anything in the last several years, you've seen the actress Anne Dowd in some role that's blown you away. And I've just been really taken with two recent performances of hers. And one, she played Patty Levin on The Leftovers. Patty was sort of the, the leader of this group of people who never spoke, wore white, smoked all the time, called The Guilty Remnant. Hugely divisive within the show's fan base, to say the least, but Anne herself uh, was really beloved, especially in season two when she effectively played a ghost or a hallucination or a figment of somebody's imagination and yet like made that a very real, very grounded performance. The other is she plays Aunt Lydia in Hulu's The Handmaid's Tale. Aunt Lydia is the, the woman who looks over The Handmaid's training and sort of watches out for them later on after they're out in the world uh, being forced to bear children. It's, it's a horrifying show. It's a part to play that could be so overbearing and so hard to watch, and yet Anne brings such a humanity to both of these parts that you feel like you recognize them even as you realize that maybe they're not doing the best things. And that's sort of the space that she lives in is playing these characters who do terrible things and yet making them very human and understandable and empathetic. And I think that's such a valuable skill to have, especially at this point in time. So I'm so happy to be speaking with Anne, and we'll get right to that. My guest today is Anne Dowd. You know her from so many roles. Uh, she's nominated twice for the Emmys this year for her uh, guest starring role in The Leftovers and her supporting role in The Handmaid's Tale. Anne, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. The Vox Media offices in Los Angeles are way at the end of several other office spaces. So we were walking past people and they were recognizing you for The Handmaid's Tale. Is, is that what you get recognized for the most now or is it? do you still have like a mix of some of your other work in there? There's also a, there's a mix, and it's usually leftovers. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. Just lovely. Yes. Excellent. I have always wanted to ask this this question of, of someone who has a character that people are like, oh, that's that's perfect for you. You know, when you get a part that somebody says, this is just perfect, this is an endowed role through and through, like, what is it usually? Like, what, what are people handing to you to say, this is what you need to play? Well, it's funny. They don't put it that way. I suppose they wouldn't with... Aunt Lydia, because you'd have to say, I'm sorry, what do you mean by that? <laughs> yeah. So I think it's put in other ways. But uh, it, it's been a wonderful, challenging couple of years. Mm-hmm. Patty, wonderful, challenging, complicated. What more could you ask for? Same with Lydia. Yeah. Uh, not just the horror and the, and the cruel taskmaster, but, but someone who cares deeply about those girls, and um, at least from my perspective. Mm. But uh, it's just been, you know, very challenging, complicated women who are not attached to men or children. Yeah. So it's fascinating. It really is. Yeah. When when you're asked <laughs> to play one of these stern, cruel, sometimes cruel, I should yeah, say. Yeah, no, I Stern, hear. cruel, um, often with sort of a religious bent. One yes. One of these characters. What do you see that says about you or about your work, you know? Like, like what, why do you think that that has become a thing you excel at? That's such a good question. I guess would be... A combination of, uh, I, honest to God, I'm trying to find words. Uh, it's funny, I'm going to jump from that into something else. My, my best friend told me once, this is years and years ago, we were early in our career, and she said, you know, you're just going to play nuns. Hmm. I was incensed. <laughs> uh, I said, what do you mean nuns? She said, you know, I mean, let's face it, you're going to play nuns. I had no idea what she was talking about. Right. Uh, but I would like to just, I haven't seen her in quite a while, I'd like to say, uh, not playing nuns right now. <laughs> I wonder, it must be when you play a role and it goes well, 
and others see it, that just sparks, a, I guess, in their mind, hey, she might be right for this or she might be right for that. I, I don't honestly know. Yeah. I'm not at that table when they talk about that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Happily. Yeah. <laughs> did, you, uh, did you read for Lydia? Was that? I did not. Okay. I was offered Lydia, which yeah. was fantastic. I still smile when that phrase comes out of my wonderful manager's mouth. Marsha McManus will say, well, you have an offer. Or Gary Gersh. Do you know Gary? And He's a I know wonderful, who he is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> fantastic agent. And they'll say, you have an offer to do it. And then we go on to the next sentence. But still in my mind is, I think he said offer. <laughs> Is that that word offer? You know, that's not always been the case by any means. Yeah, yeah. So it's usually you have an audition for, but now it's more it's more of you have an offer to such magic words. Yeah. You know, really. When you play, because you would have in the past or maybe even still, you do some acting, training, coaching, that sort of thing. Yeah. When you play, so I'm going to ask you for advice as if I were an actor, but when you play one of these characters like a Lydia or like a Patty, you find such compassion and vulnerability in them even though, you know, other characters don't see it. You give it just little hints of it to the audience mm. that you have compassion for them or that you can see this flicker of conscience within them. How do you how do you find those shades? Like how do you find a way to I guess I'd say as an actress, like someone like Lydia? Yes, love her very much. Well, you know, I asked Bruce Miller, what did you think she was before? And he said, mm. a teacher. Mm. And right away, I, it just sparked something immediately. You can imagine her teaching perhaps in a, an all-girls school or, mm. or a public school and uh, being made fun of and mocked as the, the teacher with values. Mm-hmm. As, as Lydia saw the world in front of her fall apart, the promiscuity, the language, uh, you know, the, the pollution, the disregard for anything having to do with God or the Bible or anything, and just the world that meant something to her really falling apart. But in terms of the question of her vulnerability, when somebody has a very narrow vision of the world and you must stay within that very narrow alley, the question is why, how did that happen? Because the world clearly is larger Mm -hmm. than that. And so in her case, you know, it begs the question, uh, did she have an abortion once? Did she get pregnant at 15? And the shame was uncontrollable and overwhelming. And she made a promise to God that if you just give me one more chance, I will never, ever again disrespect you. In fact, I will go to... Do you know what I'm saying? Where is the, where is the grief? Yeah. What happened? Um, I see her as a kind of a loner, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't imagine she had many friends. I think it was the church group, the Bible, it was the nightly read, yeah. right by the bedside, uh, always with her. I think she found solace there, and the only way to keep herself upright was to cling to those values with all she has. Yeah. Um, I think most people, if you look hard enough, without judgment, which is, of course, our job as actors, you will find the core of vulnerability because all people have it. Patty's is, was more evident, and the, both roles are written very well. With Patty, we know that she came from abuse, and her process, if you will, was in finding her own strength, her own voice, as she did with the guilty remnant. She knew she was right, and she was, and for the first time in her life, she became the leader she was meant to be, and she committed fully to the end in her death, and then she's back, and there's an emotional burden that hasn't been let go of, Yeah. but because of her relationship with Kevin, she's able to say it out loud, when I could have left, I didn't. 
she lets go of that and then she can move on again. Yeah. Um, you know, the, it starts, of course, with the writing. Yeah. yeah. And in the writing of Handmaids, even someone as incredibly scary as Lydia is, she cares deeply and you see her try to shepherd Janine and help her when she realizes, oh, this girl's not steady. Yeah. I've got to keep an eye here mm. or this is not going to go well. Hmm. It's just the, truly in the caring of these girls and I think the downfall for Lydia might be that she would attach because once you do attach and you care and there is love involved, it's more powerful than most anything else. Well, than anything else. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. Poor yeah. woman. <laughs> I feel for her. You, you sort of talked about just, obviously this is not a backstory you've constructed for yourself, but like a suggested backstory yeah, for Lydia. Yeah, lovely. And the show about, uh, and Handmaid's Tale does these flashbacks. So eventually we will presumably see like what Lydia's life was like at some that point. That would be wonderful. And Leftovers did some of that too, where it filled yes. in the back oh, picture. Gosh. So how do you hold on to like, how do you adjust your picture of this person as you get more information, which is such an important thing to do for an actor in television? Yeah, that's interesting because isn't that the big difference when you do a series? You, mm-hmm. you come to know the character over time in different circumstances, in different periods of their lives, if you're lucky. It's funny with Damon Lindelof, he never volunteers information, but if you have a question, he will answer it thoroughly. It's extraordinary. Yeah. But he never wants to um, invade an actor's process, if you will. When you're in the hands of wonderful writers, which we are with Damon and Tom Parada and our writers, and also with Bruce Miller and wonderful directors, mm-hmm. whatever they bring to it will be part of her. Yeah. For instance, even in Leftovers, that the circumstances couldn't be more different. The guilty remnant, in, for Patty I'm speaking of, and all, all of them, but uh, the guilty remnant in season one, um, the presence in Kevin's life in season two, and <laughs> Secretary of Defense. And the thing that, make, thing that makes it all possible is that it is the same person. Yeah. They have written it so that I never sat there and thought, oh, I don't think that's her. Yeah. That's because of the writing, for sure. Beautiful. On Handmaid's Tale, um, it's obviously depicting this nightmare world for for women. But the show itself has so many uh, wonderful roles for women, Mm. wonderful actresses working on it. Uh, There's some – all but one of the directors – were women, terrific visual stylists. You have terrific, terrific women at every level of that production mm-hmm. is, I guess, what I'm getting at. And I, I just, was that surreal in some ways to be play, playing this world, again, uh, imagined by an amazing writer, Margaret Atwood, playing this world, but also then when someone would yell cut, you know, you're in this, this world of, of women at every level of this production. It certainly was wonderful. Reed Morano set us off on, on the path for three episodes. She's remarkable. Mm-hmm. It's a tricky question because what needs to happen, of course, is that the balance needs to be righted. Yeah. It's not that women are lacking in anything. Intelligence, ability, chutzpah, whatever the word may be, women, of course, have all of that. Mm-hmm. It's give them the opportunity. Yeah. And that's what needs to happen. Women are in, have come into their own. You know, women live full and challenging lives and to see them working it just is correct it's the right thing that's happening the male director um from britain wonderful yeah bruce miller fantastic yeah it's about creating that balance and not leaving people out of this of the equation yeah 
uh, that's that to me is the most important thing. You know, Lizzie uh, said something very interesting. We were at the Tribeca Film Festival. Right. Were you there by chance? I was not. I was. I was here. And so then we we were on a panel, and there were, we there were, questions were being asked, and we hadn't. We were new at talking about the show, if you yeah. will. You know, you <laughs> yeah. go through that process where you don't quite know how you're going to talk about it. Yeah. And Lizzie said, "It's it's a human. You know, someone had asked her, is it a feminist piece?' Well, duh. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, hello. <laughs> you know, but she made a more important point, which is that it's a human story. Right. But she was criticized for that, and I think incorrectly so. Mm-hmm. Because in the end, if we don't do it together, it is not going to get done. Yeah, you know, we, we will have to fight, whatever the prejudice may be. It's not going to go away anytime soon. Yeah, I mean, the treatment of Hillary Clinton—you can call it all you want about the emails and this and that—but I think, God forbid, we should have a black president. And over my dead body, is it going to be a woman next? Yeah, I think there was a fair amount of that going on. Yeah, uh, that isn't spoken of because it isn't allowed to be spoken of. But I think it was a very strong dynamic. So there's no question we're going to have to fight and going to have to push. But it is a human effort. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The last thing you have to speak to Bruce Miller about is the female perspective. He gets it. Yeah. That's another sort of, I, I imagine, surreal aspect of, of shooting the show is when you started working on The Handmaid's Tale, we were living in a world where sort of the conventional wisdom was no way Donald Trump would ever become president. And by the time you'd finished filming season one, he had been inaugurated a few weeks earlier, I think. What, like, what was that voyage like to be working on this show, which became sort of accidentally timely in some ways as you were working on it? Well, just as you said, it began with, please, this yeah. is a joke. Mm-hmm. And, you know, hearing he's going to drop out, I mean, it's not, then, then he became the nominee and it was just shocking. Mm-hmm. But in a way, I thought, great, mm. this is going to be a walk in the park. And it became increasingly more disturbing. But still, until election night. Yeah. And I happened to be in New York. I was not working, mm. gratefully, because I stayed in bed the next day. Yeah. I literally don't know when I've ever been more affected by something outside of my personal family, something that might happen there. It felt deeply personal and uh, disastrous, actually. Um, what Handmaid's Tale gives us an opportunity to do is put a, a visual to it, mm. is to keep it front and center. This is what can happen. Let's not kid ourselves. Yeah. Stay awake. Put your phone down. Pay attention to the small incremental injustices that are occurring. Don't think someone else is going to do it for you. And don't think you can let it go by. You can't. Yeah. Never underestimate the power of morons. <laughs> I say moron, but, but seriously. Yeah. I mean, I understand he's found a way to make all his millions or whatever he does. But to think that this is our leader. Yeah. Um, where did we drop the ball? Hmm. We did ignore a significant amount of people with serious reasons to be angry and upset, losing their way of earning their living and supporting their family. Mm -hmm. They were not properly heard. Right. But he is not the solution. Right. And so that that would be where where enough people went. But to go back to to your question, it's a form of activism in a way. It's a way of putting the despair, the anger the worry into action and to focus it completely on the work we're doing. Yeah. I, I, I would say that's a tremendous gift, you know. 
You've played a lot of characters who I guess you might qualify as under the radar or people that the media doesn't often notice or pay attention to. What has doing that – and you were talking about you know, how some of, some of the Trump voters were people who were saying, listen to us. We aren't being heard. What has playing characters like that – like what, what sort of – I don't want to say knowledge but like compassion has that given you, you for people who are maybe not heard or understood? Well, it's always been my favorite place mm-hmm. for whatever reason. The loner, the one who never fit in, mm-hmm. uh, who thought in peculiar and strange ways, uh, who survived somehow and found a way to make their life meaningful. I, I love those people deeply. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I remember once doing a play called The Wool Gatherer, uh, Master Simone. It's a wonderful play. I love it. By all counts, she should be dead, but she isn't. Yeah, She found a way through with damage. But I remember struggling in the beginning. I was like, well, what's interesting about her? And then I, it finally dawned on me, honey, she's a survivor. Mm. She's not a victim, in mm-hmm. fact. She could have been, but she chose another route. And that just turned a major light bulb on for me in uh, real compassion and love for those characters uh, and the beautiful writing. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. Love. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to, to sort of go to a, a different angle, a bit more flip, I guess, um, both Patty and Lydia have very distinct costumes. Yeah. You wear in basically every scene. Like there are, there are change-ups here and there. Yeah. How do you – like some people get so much so much uh, uh, mileage out of how they're dressed or you know, yeah, how their yeah. hair is done, something like that. When you don't have that to play with, like what does that give you to have like this sort of uniform appearance? Uh well, it's you and me, kid. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's very helpful. It takes a long time to get dressed yeah. because, you know, the, 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 the boots and then the thing that goes over the boots. But before you put the boots on, you have the under leggings sort of thing. Uh, and Crabtree. Yeah. It's extraordinary talent. Um, oh, my goodness. If you could see how hard that woman works. Yeah. It's extraordinary. And what she comes up with and the various shades of red from which she chose, the blues, you know, I would say, oh, good, That's I like that. Yeah. Now, that'll take her a very, very long time to choose it because mm-hmm. she's so careful in the way that she does things. It uh, It's deeply helpful. I mean, I look at the mirror and I say, okay. Mm-hmm. I happen to love, well, let me see, how shall I put? Uh, you know, the, going into the makeup chair, it's kind of a comedy because it takes 30 seconds. <laughs> you know, we pretend. I mean, it just, okay, good, nice to see you. Thank you. You know, I'm used to that, quite yeah. honestly. Um, so I don't have ego attached there. I am just happen to be lucky like that. I, I uh, don't think I've been hired for my looks in the past. So not to put it down, it just, you know, hasn't been where it's gone for me. And so there's something very freeing about that. Yeah. There's nothing to cover up or anything. Here it is. Yeah. You mm. know, I'm co- self-conscious about weight. Uh, that's an issue of mine, which is also in my hands, yeah. so to speak. Um, but as for, and I was saying to someone, I don't remember who, I think aging is a beautiful thing. Yeah. And I love to see it in an actor's face. Mm. It just gives me so much um, pride in their work, you know, because it's a hard, it, it, all of us work hard. You work hard. You're going back and forth, back and forth. Life is challenging. Yeah. Uh, oh, my God, we earn whatever is on our face. Yeah. I love that I don't, whether I even wanted to or I didn't. 
if I even went in and said, you know, what, I think Lydia, no, she's not wearing makeup. Don't be ridiculous. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's, it's just out of my hands and it's very freeing in that respect. Yeah. Yeah. I actually sort of talking about uh, on the aging point, I was talking to one of your leftovers co-stars, uh, Carrie Coon. Uh, oh, yes. Several months ago. And she was talking about how she's trying to not sort of catch that fear of aging that so many people get in Hollywood. Uh, how, how do you learn to embrace aging as like, I guess, another tool in your performance arsenal? Well, it helps when the roles as I'm older fit well Mm -hmm. and I'm very happy. Yeah. I wonder if for actors who are very beautiful, it's much harder, you see, don't you think? Because Mm -hmm. looks were so much a part of things. And then imagine being valued less because you're aging when your talent has only grown, Mm -hmm. most likely. And your intelligence and your sense of perspective, all the gifts of aging. And then someone says, no... Mm -hmm. Um, it's so demoralizing, I would imagine. I didn't have that struggle because I remember being in my 30s thinking, I think those are wrinkles. Yikes. I don't want them. Yeah. And I'll do my best to kind of keep myself in, together it, it, as one should in honoring oneself, I guess. But I, I was never put in that position of saying, mm, no, you kind of lost that youth look. Yeah. Uh, I was fortunate there. Carrie's a very beautiful woman. She's also a tremendously sensible woman. Yeah. And talented, mm-hmm. of course. Yeah. I don't see her. She's just too sharp. Yeah, I, I don't you think know, it's going to happen I don't see either, I'm not yeah. worried about her yeah. <laughs> in that regard. <laughs> yeah, my, myself as well. But I, I thought it was interesting that the way she talked about like – and certainly I feel that way as well because I'm, you know, in an industry that really there's always some 21-year-old who will come in <gasps> and like oh my write God. whatever. Yeah. And that can be tricky. So Oh, I can – yes. Yeah. I, I found a very helpful thing too is to never look back like that. Sure. Because you could get distracted by concerns of that sort. And even if you were right, what's the point in worrying? You know what I'm saying? Stick to your work. Believe there's something else coming along. Believe it with all you have. Yeah. Uh, 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 focus your energy there. Um, and let's see what happens. Hmm. Easy yeah. to say now, I know, but I mean that. In the times that were slower and um, where I thought, oh, what's next? Hmm. Got to have that deep belief that you're on the right path. Yeah, I yeah. think. Definitely, definitely. So uh, I, I knew you from a role you'd, you'd mentioned earlier, Nothing Sacred, which I really loved oh, when I was you. a teenager. Oh, I'm so glad. Um, but uh, sort of, I think, for your career really since the film Compliance in 2012, right. I think, has really kind of accelerated. And that that's unusual for for any actor to have yes. like to have sort of a, a stable career then suddenly you know take off in that way what has that experience been like these last 4 or 5 years of just suddenly you've hit another level well i have to say it's thrilling and one of the things that makes it so thrilling is as i say i'm older mm. therefore there's perspective there's balance i have children i have a husband i love mm-hmm. i have responsibilities i have mother and siblings had it happened earlier, my goodness, would I have forgotten to have children? Do you know what I say forget, of course, in quotes? Yeah. Would I have said, let's wait another year? Yeah. I carried a tremendous, I think probably everybody does to a degree, but I had a lot of anxiety about performing, not so much camera, mm-hmm. but theater and everything, and really struggling with how to let go of that yeah. and just let drop the birds, drop the armor. Don't mm-hmm. need the armor, honey. Let's just, working on that. So at this stage of the game, there is less armor. I don't worry as much. I trust that, um, and I, you know, it's easy to do when you have tremendous writers. Yeah. When you have someone like Justin Thoreau. Mm. Uh, oh, yeah. I don't have words. Yeah. Truly, I don't. 
um, or Lizzie, who's the leader of our group. You know, you can trust, you can let go. You can just say, here, it's all about this, Mm -hmm. you and me, in the room, in a scene, wanting something, telling a story. By telling, I mean, I should say doing a story. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just much less angst. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which is a great thing, you know? Do you feel that ever as you continue in your career where you just, you know what, I know I... The panic doesn't last as long like yeah. on a given day when you're shooting or I would imagine when you're interviewing someone and you've got to get here and there. Yeah. But at some point, that voice that says, you're going to be able to handle it. Yeah. It'll be yeah. all right. It's going to be rocky for a minute, but you'll get it. Yeah. It's not yeah. all going to happen in 30 seconds, honey. It's going to be a long day. Yeah. <laughs> Just relax. Uh, definitely, yes. Like uh, when I started the show, I would, I would, uh, I was telling another guest I had this notebook full of like con- complete notes and like... It made the conversation inorganic. So like, well, that's what know. I was going to say. I was going to wait till we stopped talking <laughs> because I didn't want to. But that's a wonderful thing you do. Yeah. Do you know what a difference that makes? Because even if wonderful interviewers aren't, and they've been lovely, even if they aren't not listening, when the head goes down to check the next question, yeah. you've lost your train of thought. Right, right. Do you know what I'm yeah. saying? Mm-hmm. And you feel like, okay, the concern is on the next question rather than what we're talking about. So yeah. it's a wonderful choice you've made. Tell me a little bit about like uh, sort of this period when you're – like you talked a little bit about how you were just figuring out how to talk about Handmaid's Tale at that Tribeca yeah, yeah. Film Festival. Yeah. And now you're kind of at the end of this press cycle. You're, you know, you're in the Emmy Awards season and all of that. What's that process like for an actor of – and you've had on every project, I'm sure, figuring out how you're going to talk about this show, how you're going to talk about the character mm-hmm. to people like me, to people in the press right. in a way that's like – I guess digestible, you know? Yeah, that's a great question. I remember um, the first time I really had to actually talk about a project with some (laughs) level of intelligence was uh, compliance. And I remember being with Craig. We were at Sundance. Craig and and, uh, uh, wonderful actors were were sitting around. And And I remember turning to Craig and I said, well, honey, how are we going to talk about this? What What are we saying this is a film about? Yeah. So I think that's the first question. What is the story about? And you have to have some narrative for yourself that has yeah. a beginning, middle, and an end. And I think you have to put that together for yourself, make a decision about it. Though, have I done that? I'm wondering. Um, however, talking about a character is a wonderful thing. Mm-hmm. It's helpful, too, because it really clarifies for my, for me uh, who I think she is. And when you've spent time, as I have, a season with this person, it becomes easier to talk about. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, making a decision, mm-hmm. clarifying for yourself so that what comes out of your mouth is actually understandable. Yeah. Um, that's part of the job, I think, in did, a way. Did you have a, a thing that you, I guess, you realized about Lydia or Patty from talking about them to Yeah, people? that's a great question. Um, well, you know, I'll tell you what I learned about Patty. Mm. I can't talk about her for long. I just weep. Yeah. That's very curious to me. Mm-hmm. Um, it speaks to the power of the material, in my opinion, yeah. to what was written. Yeah. Um, because it's so vast, and, and you know you were dropping into a story that was not linear, that um, was not going to be the same for each person, that was going to touch on what is hardest for all of us, which I think is grief, yeah. loss. Mm-hmm. And so to think she's still alive and, and well somewhere in me, and that it's not a, I don't understand it, yeah. that's thrilling to me. Yeah. So that was interesting to learn. And Lydia, you know, talking about her and thinking about her past, people ask, what, what, what do you think her past was? 
it makes you think of other things uh, or other circumstances. What you do on a Friday night when her friends went out? She yeah. didn't have any friends. Mm. And her mother says, you can't wear a hem above, it has to be below your knee. I had a wonderful, wonderful friend who was, we became friends because she was ostracized for the way she looked oh. and the way she dressed. But I remember hearing her talk once. I think she's about the smartest person I've ever met. Mm. She became a deeply dear friend. Lydia, did Lydia have someone who found her interesting or did she go home and just memorize the Bible? Yeah. Did she say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go home and I'm going to be the smartest kid in the class. Mm-hmm. You want to make fun of me? Go ahead. I don't yeah. care. You know, it just, you can go everywhere with those stories. Yeah. And I think it deepens the work. Yeah. You know? To look back at Compliance, that's such a, a harrowing yeah. film. And I think the shooting schedule on it was pretty brief, right? Yeah, it was. Like, take me back to that that world of, like, having to go into that space, even in such a compressed time, but, like, having to go into this uh, this sort of darker place day after day after day. Because you, you now are doing it a lot and you really excel at that. Well, you know, for for this woman that I played, it wasn't a dark place. It was for a long time. A major inconvenience. You know, I've got this this Friday night. It's busy. I'm trying to manage this restaurant. We've got about two strips of bacon left. Now I've got this annoying employee who apparently stole from somebody, and I've got a detective, and I've got to step up. Uh, uh, Wow. And having to, you know, suppress what she cannot believe is happening. Like, she walked into that room. Yeah. And she saw something, Mm -hmm. and she had to black it out. Yeah. Couldn't talk. She couldn't take it. Yeah. So the other thing that's kind of wonderful about how we shot it is a shooting schedule, as you know, is a very uh, challenging uh, beast. Yeah. And we shot nights starting one, two, and three. Mm -hmm. I had younger children at the time, all home. Mm. And so I didn't do a gradual shift to sleeping in the day. Pardon me. So I just hit the ground running. Right. And about three in the morning, I, I'll never forget this, I was so exhausted and to the point where you think, okay, wait a minute, what are we doing? And I literally went in a corner and I, I just basically said a prayer, which was, help me to care. Yeah. Help me to remember this is being filmed. This is going to be, this moment is what is going to represent what she's doing right now. Yeah. We're not going to film this tomorrow. This is today. And, and again, actors are fairly good at separating. By that I mean backstage and we weren't all, it wasn't a gloomy, tense, no, no, first of all, you're too tired and secondly, you got a job to do. Yeah. You know what I mean? And you want to do it well. Mm -hmm. Um, And casts, there's a bond there. Yeah. And Craig is wonderful. So, you know, you're, 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 and the same with um, Leftovers, oh my God, I had Justin and I gave it all to him and that's a relationship that will for the rest of my life, yeah, without question, I trust him with my life, basically, yeah. and that speaks to him, his gifts, his goodness, and he's full of it, and to the writing on Handmaid's Tale, you know Lizzie's a very funny person, and so are many of the cast members, and Bruce is very funny, and Colin Watkinson and Reed Morano, you know we're we're all just or when we're telling the story, we're telling it, yeah. and when we're not, we are not, mm. do you know, yeah. I like to tease my little sweet handmaids. They're delicious young actors. You know, I love them. Yeah. They're at the start of their career, you know, working so hard. I'm mad about them. Um, I'm a mother of children. Sure. I love that, and I love to teach. 
So these, not that these young handmaids need to be taught. My goodness, I was nowhere near where they are at their age. I was still trying to put a sentence together, quite yeah. honestly. Mm. But it's just a pleasure. There's friendships and relationships and then a lot of gratitude because we're doing the work. Lucky yeah. us. Yeah. That's a thing that always astounds me about actors. I think it astounds a lot of people that you can turn it on and off in some ways, especially really skilled ones or people who've been doing it for a long time. Is that something you had to develop or is that just, is that just yeah. always there? Well, again, it's more of I know that I need a certain amount of time before going in to shoot a scene. And if I want to hold on to something that I want to give further thought to, I'll spend some time just thinking about that. Right. But I do, it is not in my best interest um, as an actor to uh, stay in that place. Right. To me, that depletes the freshness and the energy. Now, other actors work differently. When I see young actors do that, I get very concerned. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I speak up even if I'm not asked. I say, yeah. you know, darling, you don't have to suffer. Mm-hmm. Life is full of suffering depending on one's... Let's not say full of suffering. Mm -hmm. There are varying degrees of suffering and challenge that we will find very difficult throughout our lives. And the process of getting a role or understanding a role or finding a way to perform the role to your ability, those are all things that will um, have a certain amount of struggle in them. But just don't sign on to the notion that you need to suffer in order for this to be good. I don't believe in that. It's make-believe for a reason. The imagination, the emotional engine one has, the fact that you're involved in all aspects of your life so that you're a fully rounded human being. Yeah. It's based on human behavior, you know. So as you are listening to this episode, I am in the midst of getting ready to go on vacation. I have all the stuff gathered and put in a little pile on my bed, which is what I do, and it drives my wife nuts. But I need to fit it all into a bag, and I have just recently been really loving the bags from Away. You can find them at awaytravel.com. They were started by two friends from New York who found themselves at JFK with dead phones, delayed flights, and a bright idea. Luggage with power. That's where the Away care was born. So they asked thousands of people how they pack, why they travel, and what bugs them most about their luggage. They designed a bag that solved a few old problems, you know, ones you've had all along, like sticky wheels, and a few new ones, like dead cell phones. They use high-quality materials while offering a much lower price compared to other brands by cutting out the middleman and selling directly to you. You can find nine colors with four different sizes, the carry-on, the bigger carry-on, the medium, or the large, if you're going on an extended stay. All the suitcases are made with premium German polycarbonate that's unrivaled in strength and impact and resistance. It's very lightweight as well. The interior's got a patent-pending compression system helpful for overpackers like myself, and there are four 360-degree spinner wheels. It's a TSA-approved combination lock built into the top of the bag to prevent theft, and removable, washable laundry bag keeps dirty clothes separate from the clean clothes. So you can also charge your cell phone in this in all sizes of it. You can charge tablets, e-readers, anything that's powered by a USB cord. A single charge of the Away carry-on will charge your iPhone five times. There's a lifetime warranty. There's a 100-day trial. There's free shipping on any Away order within the lower 48 states. So if you want to try that, you can go to awaytravel.com slash interesting and use the promo code interesting during checkout and you'll get $20 off a suitcase. Remember, that's awaytravel.com slash interesting. Use the promo code interesting, $20 off a great suitcase. 
you do play a lot of quote unquote normal people who are pushed into positions where they do terrible things, whether through something very small or something very large, as in Handmaid's Tale, like society crumbling. Yeah, yeah, hello. Um, do you think that we all have that that point inside of ourselves where we could be pushed to, you know, something destructive and horrible? That's such a good question because when you see what's going on with ISIS and you see what happens so much all over the world, you think, could I ever do that? Mm. Could I be the one that that beheads a person because they're not far enough to the right in the way they believe? I mean, yeah. could I be one of those people? Mm. I, I, I find it hard to believe and I think – but honestly – if my child, if you've got my child over there and you've got a knife to his throat or her throat, hey, I don't know what. I did something once in college, and I think of this from time to time. We were all in the cafeteria, and there was a food fight. It was a big group. Yeah. So somehow that personal responsibility gets shifted to the group mentality of, well, we're all doing it. And I threw a tomato at somebody, right at them. And I, can't, I, I still look back and think, you could have hurt them. Yeah. But I just sailed away with it. And you'd like to think, no, I never would. Yeah, yeah. You know that test they did? Oh, which one? Um, yeah, hello, Ann. <laughs> could you give me a little more information? The one where they put people in the room and they, there was a, a person out there and they said, now yeah. you're going to, you just decide what with to. The buzzer, yeah. Mm-hmm. And they were, thought they were increasing electricity and punishment, you know. And it was the, the results were startling yeah. and terrifying. When, when we did compliance and we took it to Deauville, they have a wonderful festival for American films. Yeah. And one of the reporters said, so do you think the thing that happens in compliance, which is, I guess you could say, deferring completely to authority, what yeah. you think is authority, giving up your own personal responsibility to what is right and wrong? He said, do you think that's an American phenomenon? And I thought to myself, are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah. So I said, you mean is, aside from Nazi Germany? Yeah. Is the, I mean, are you kidding? Mm-hmm. This is a human condition that we could easily forget we could be a part of. Yeah. That's about a roundabout way of saying, I don't know. Have, have you found, in working in these parts, have you found a way to put up those guardrails within yourself so you don't go throwing tomatoes again? Well, thank heavens I'm older again. And you were aware of what your actions can produce. Yeah. Um, when you're a mother for long enough, you learn what patience is and you learn what listening is and you learn that you're going to have a lot of emotions you want to act on, but you're going to choose otherwise. I certainly struggle I struggle that way in argument sometimes, say with family, I guess where I feel safest, in spirited conversations. I think I go too far in expressing that anger, you know, but it's always a reminder, honey, come on now, at some point you've got to walk away. Yeah. You know, just yeah. got to walk away mm. from, from, from your own anger is what I mean. Not away from conflict, let's say, but how are you going to deal with conflict? Definitely, definitely. Everything I've read, uh, other interviews I've read with you or, or profiles of you or whatever, you talk a lot about finding that balance of time for work and time for having your own life. And how did you sort of develop that? Because um, certainly when you're driven toward creative pursuits, it can be easy to just lose yourself mm-hmm. in them in a way that maybe it isn't if you're working at McDonald's or something. Mm-hmm. Not that no, that's I hear you. bad work. You know? No, no, I hear you. People yeah. do what they have to do to, to earn their living. Right. Well, I, you have a child. That's how you learn. Mm-hmm. Because I was completely focused and I waited till I, I think my son was born when I was 36. Mm. 
my first child, and I waited. Now, I look back and think, wow, what were you, you know, and I know why I waited, because I was waiting for that career break. Yeah. And then at some point, even, and I was scared about it, no question, but time was moving forward. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, you don't, don't have endless amounts of time. Don't make that mistake. But then, then that beautiful creature comes into the world. Yeah. And you, love is redefined. Yeah. And you will never, ever imagine life without that person. So everything shifts. Yeah. Mm. They, they are tiny, vulnerable, beautiful little... <laughs> so you're, you're, you know, I remember uh, when my son was born, I had an over-fear of anyone touching him. Mm. Or not washing their hands 62 times before, you know, walking yeah. into the room. Um, now I, I would be, come on now, Anne, relax. Um, when we would walk down the streets in Manhattan. Now I mean Manhattan where there's a billion people and my husband would have one hand on the carriage. I'd say, no, you've got to have both hands. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you know, it all, that protective instinct. So in other words, that produces a sense of, you're not the only one in this game, dear. Yeah. Um, and of course it is, like I struggle now because my little boy, he's 12, mm. He wants his mother at home. Yeah. Handmaids is in Toronto. Uh, Good Behavior, which is another series I'm working on that I love, is in North Carolina. Yeah. And I've got to find a way to get right back. Yeah. Because I'm responsible for him. Yeah. That's my first priority. Yeah. So that's very difficult to balance that. Mm. But to step away from that singular focus on I must spend all my time with the work. I don't think it's productive. Yeah. You know. Do you think being a mother made you a better actor? Yes, for mm. sure. Mm. Listening. Yeah. My oldest child is uh, on the autistic spectrum and that is a whole other way of seeing the world. And so learning to sit with that and find a way to understand the behavior. Yeah. Especially early on. Well, not even especially. I find the grief now for what he wants in his life that he cannot have. Right now it's about driving. He wants to drive. Yeah. Drive a car, he can't. Mm-hmm. Uh, and his sister just got her license and he finds it unbearable. Yeah. So finding a way to sit with that mm-hmm. and listen and listen again and listen again to how unfair it is. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I would say the answer is yes. Yeah. There, yeah. yeah. You have, you seem a lot of actors are this way, but you have this protective love for the characters you play, even if they do something. Uh, have you always had that, or was that it's sort of another offshoot of like making this transition in your own life? Well, I think um, what you learn early on as an actor is that if you come in with judgment, you've lost the game. Mm-hmm. To me, it's a relationship. Yeah. Like if I sat down right now and said, so Todd, tell me everything, your first girlfriend, your first boyfriend, or whatever it is, tell me everything right now. Yeah. What kind of fights do you have with your parents? Mm. Uh, do you have brothers and sisters? Are you jealous? Blah, blah, blah. This, this is not going to be a friendship. Yeah. You're going to say, that, that woman is pushy. It was none of her business. She had no sense of boundary. Yeah. I think it's sort of similar with a character. Mm-hmm. You want to get to know that person? Mm-hmm. You know, take the judgment away and say, you know, uh, I'm here to learn. Yeah. Uh, the writing will give you all all kinds of ideas, but it becomes a relationship. And if, if it's full of respect and love and, and a clear vision, mm-hmm. then you got half a chance. Mm. And that's, I think, very important. You've, you've done a lot of stage work. Yes. Um, 
and television in many ways could not be more different from the stage. Like you have almost no rehearsal time, if yeah. any. Uh, and, you know, stages you often spend weeks yeah, yeah. living with the piece, living right, with the right, character exactly. before you even start like blocking in some cases. How, how has all that stage work prepared you to work in, in television? Courage mm. to not run. Mm-hmm. And also the need to prepare, yeah. the need to do your homework. Yeah. Um, but it's mostly that to me is what theater absolutely demands yeah. is courage. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to – and I guess people have varying degrees. Some people say that's when I come alive on stage. Well, I have a lot of prep to do before I can let go of the armor to step out and say, you know what, honey? You have what you have today. Yeah. And let it go. Yeah. Give yeah. it up. Um, sea lakes. You've got to find your way through an evening. Now, with rehearsal and with repetition, you're going to strengthen that structure. Yeah. Uh, but, boy, there's nothing like it. Yeah. Um, and I think it, realizing, too, you know, as you say, no rehearsal – Sometimes the panic will rise up, and I'll say, go back to the basics. It's the same thing, honey. What does the character want? Yeah. What's in the character's way? And what are you going to do to get it? Yeah. Just go back to basics. Don't uh, pretend it's a different thing. It isn't. We have less time, but that doesn't just change your thinking about it. Yeah. I can do this. Mm. You know, you've survived many nights on a stage, honey, where you were scared to death. Mm. I think we can manage. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So when you were talking to like a young actor or, or, you know, working with some of your younger co-stars and they ask you for advice, what's your first bit of advice? Well, you know, because it's so different now in terms of um, how you get auditions and all of those things, it's like a whole other world. Yeah. So much on the computer, so much – I was like, what? I don't address any of that. I do sort of philosophically say keep the love for that work alive. Mm -hmm. Keep yourself focused there. Don't allow yourself to be distracted by everything under the sun. Fame and celebrity, uh, being noticed. Um, keep your mind really focused on the work. Read plays constantly. Whether you're doing film or television, doesn't matter. Read the great plays. Mm-hmm. En- encourage yourself. Keep your monologues up and running so that when you're not working, you're keeping yourself. You're reminding yourself, yes, I'm an actor. Mm-hmm. When I came to New York without an agent, um, and I was 32... I would, in times of, not despair, but when I would feel disconnected from the fact that I was an actor, Mm -hmm. I had those monologues and I'd go right into my room and do them and remind myself, this is something you're going to keep doing. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, be involved in the world, I would say to them. Take care of your relationships. Um, If you have issues, get the help you need. Put your phones down. Make a because that's much harder for, for this group. I mean, yeah. I can't even believe it. It's unheard of not to have a cell phone, and that's hard because it wrecks your ability to concentrate without some stimulus happening all the time. Yeah. So I, that would I that's one of the biggest things I was encur- I would encourage is to put your phone down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're going to live without knowing. Uh, you know. I would say, well, this is horrible because I guess you can't do it nowadays, but I would keep your connection with social media very low. Yeah. Um, because you can begin to value what others say more than what you say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's a distraction. And sometimes you can just forget that's what's happened to your thinking. Mm-hmm. You're relying on others to tell you about what you only should know. Do you yeah. Know? 
Yeah. I, uh, I, I read a, an article uh, just very recently that said that by inventing the smartphone, we've put essentially a machine that shouts your name to your brain and that shouts your name in your pocket at all times. And like we have not evolved beyond the like, oh, somebody's trying to get my attention. And like so we're mm-hmm. constantly checking mm-hmm. it. And I, I find that myself because writing requires concentration yeah. as well. And it's I just, would imagine so. And yeah. You know, we weren't allowed to say I'm bored growing up. Mm-hmm. My mother would just look at us and say, are you kidding me? Yeah. Look around. Uh-uh. Yeah. Nobody bored in this house. Mm-hmm. Um, we really try to monitor my son's um, screen time. Sure. Because with that kind of stimulus, nothing else quite hits it. Do you know what I'm saying? So they're always seeking some kind of stimulation. Yeah. You know, remember those rainy days when you read your book? Yeah. You know, we go to Lake Sunapee in the summer. There was never a television or anything. If it rained, you got your book. Yeah. Or you played checkers or you played cards. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, anyway, I yeah. sound like I'm 96, but at any rate. <laughs> I think when you get past, like, when you get past a certain age, everybody sounds like they're 96. Yeah, to that's like, true. To, like, an 18-year-old. Like, I've, I've tried to talk to my teenage nephews and nieces, and it's just, they have no idea what I'm, what I'm trying to I say. I hear you. Oh, my gosh. That's funny. <laughs> um, you mentioned that you have, you know, reading the great plays, having monologues up and running. Who, who are your favorite playwrights? Who do you return to again and again? Check off, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know much about Shakespeare, but what I do know is, is pretty extraordinary. Yeah. I loved playing the Shaw roles. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, Arthur Miller, Ten- Arthur Miller, Tennessee Williams, uh, yeah. Naomi Wallace. I love her, her work. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I've just been, yeah, oh my mm-hmm. goodness. Yeah. Wonderful, yeah. wonderful place. What, what are the monologues that you would prepare or have uh, ready when you were auditioning? Well, they would not be so much the ones I would use in an audition because I didn't do much of that. Sure. But I loved the. I did a play called A Different Moon, Era Watson, and I loved that character more than anything. Yeah. And I kept a monologue from hers always present. Um, Major Barbara, some wonderful monologues there. St. Joan, Mm. uh, just fantastic, challenging, extraordinary Mm -hmm. pieces. Um, It just keeps you alive, keeps it. That spark ignited at all times. I think it's a great thing. When you approach a big monologue or a big stretch of dialogue where mm. you're talking to one character, like how do you break that down? How do you find, okay, here's, I have to hit this beat here, I have to hit this beat here? Like, is it technical or at this point in your career is it just more intuitive? Well, I would hope to think it's more organic, but then, you know, I need to hit this here. There. Yeah, yeah. However, a well written piece has a beginning, middle, and an end, or, or let us say, one thought will lead to the next. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, again, clarity on what you're saying. Why are you saying it? What do you want? Yeah. What effect do you want to have on the person over there? Mm. Um, so it's a combination of things. You know, the technical part would be, what's this piece about? Yeah. Really, what am I trying to say here? Yeah. We're kind of coming into the end of the show, and I saved my, my nothing sacred questions for, oh, for the end. that's so sweet. Because uh, people have not seen this show it's very hard to see it's i think it used to be on youtube and now it, it's kind of out there in the ether but this is a, a show that aired in the 90s it's about a uh, sort of an unorthodox, unorthodox catholic priest you played a, a nun on the series uh and it left the air for a number of reasons but one was that it was very tumultuous in terms of uh controversial Ugh, opinions attaching nonsense. themselves to it especially from the, the catholic church 
what was that time like in your life? Like what was working on this show that had such high acclaim from critics and, and the audience who, who watched it just loved it, but also it was like really demonized in some quarters? Such nonsense. I say nonsense because that this priest just had an open mind and heart. Mm-hmm. And as if God wishes you to have something other than that. You know, it's absurd. Yeah. Bill Kane, the writer, he's a very dear friend and he's yeah. a wonderful, wonderful right. man. I've been in the South lately, and I've been listening to the religious programs because I'm fascinated by them. Sure, sure. Young women saying, you know, birth control is is wrong. Don't Mm -hmm. even go there. Never mind. Where where are you getting this information? What are you talking about? Who are you talking to? Why do you need to hold so so hard to your version of things? Mm -hmm. Um, I thought the responses to Nothing Sacred were just... That is not a controversial show in a way that should throw people, yeah. it will make people think. This is a, a Jesuit priest who is devoted to his work. Yeah. You, I, I found, and talking to that man, I forget his name, he was very annoying <laughs> and so small-minded. That's the thing. It's like, where's your intelligence even? Yeah. And that you have power? Mm-hmm. And that show, this show is going to shut down because you don't like... It, that it doesn't fit with your way of thinking. Yeah. I, I, I consider that a, a sh- real shame. Yeah. A yeah. real shame. But I'm going to do with Bill. He's put together a wonderful piece about Dorothy Day. Oh, great. And uh, so to be still, you know, after all these years, um, close to him is a wonderful thing. Are you yourself uh, religious? Do you have belief? Or were you raised religious? I was raised uh, in a conservative Catholic home. Okay. Uh, lots of love, but the church very visible and very important in my family's life. I am not a practicing Catholic. Mm. I certainly have my own spiritual beliefs right. that I consider to be private. Uh, by that, I mean I don't have a need to speak of it. But it certainly played a big part in my life. My, my mother's faith, as she says, is what sustained her in her whole life. Yeah. I mean, it's big in our family. and uh, um, So that was certainly had a lot of influence on me yeah. growing up. We've, we've talked throughout this, but especially sort of at the beginning when we were talking about Lydia, about people who have sort of that narrow view of things and can't see that the world is larger. And I think that's true of all of us. We mm-hmm. all have mm-hmm. a narrow view of something and then Correct. we have this moment where we're like, oh, that was some, something I thought it wasn't. What's something you didn't maybe see the whole picture on that you later just totally realized you were you were wrong on? That, that Where you can relate to that idea of seeing the world through a very narrow lens. Well, I I still struggle with it. Mm. When I listen to a, a Republican senator talk about why he wanted to repeal Obamacare and not, not anything to replace it with. Yeah. Those two words when I even even if it's not related to Obamacare, the anxiety goes up immediately now. Replace, repeal, what? Yeah. Um, but I heard him saying, you know, well, we don't, you know, we really we don't want to ha- to have to have our neighbor help us out with our health issues. Right. We don't want to have to rely on our neighbor. I just, I have such a um, judgment on that. Yeah. And on the in general, the what the Republicans are saying now, I judge it because I I I find it so narrow. Yeah. And then I say to myself, well. Have you taken the time to really look at what they're saying? Yes, some of it you will reject. My brother, John, uh, who's a very fine man, is the one Republican in the family, and Mm -hmm. we knock heads regularly. 
And we went through something uh, having to do with something personal in the family, which reminded me that I'm not giving him a fair shot. Right. That I'm not really taking the time to hear what he has to say. Yeah. And instead of criticizing it, reach across the table and say, listen, help me to understand. Yeah. I'm here to listen, mm. as my, my sweet son would say. Mm. Uh, so I have it in my personal life where I realize you, you're, you've already shut the door there, girl. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you don't want that happening here. Mm. You've got to return that. You, you've got to decide that for yourself as well. It's a, it's it's a good con- question. It's a constant struggle to see people as people and not the roles we assign yeah. for them yeah. in our heads. Yeah. Has acting taught you better ways to see others as they as they see themselves? Let's see. Has acting taught – say again? Has acting taught you better methods of trying – finding ways to see others as they see themselves, even if you – Yeah. Oh, yeah, sure. Stepping yeah. into their shoes for yeah. sure. Mm-hmm. You know, what would it be like to be that person? Yeah. What are their struggles? What are they fighting for? What's mm-hmm. the crusade they want to jump on? Yeah, yeah that's, it, that's, that's the skill, isn't it? Yeah. That's the gift, if you will. Yeah. yeah. So at the end of every show, we ask our guests some of the same questions. So I'm going to ask you a handful, uh, starting with what's the last – movie you saw or TV show you watched or book you read or just something sort of cultural that you've taken in and what did you think of it? I just watched Moonstruck okay. uh, because I did not get out of bed Sunday. I was too tired. I flew in from New York. <laughs> and just the that Ita- the Italian culture, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, it was that, aside from how phenomenal that film is yes. and how funny and how brilliant they all are, oh, I just couldn't get there fast enough. I, I happened to read... Um, Elena Ferrante's four novels, oh, yeah. My Brilliant Friend. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Couldn't mm. put them down. That kind of wonderful uh, entry into a world you know nothing about, and you just want to shut your door and say, do not come in here unless your hair is on fire, and then we will have a conversation. That That's fantastic. Yeah. 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 Who's the actor you have learned the most from that you've never met? Well, I was going to say uh, Geraldine Page but I did meet her. Oh, okay. So that doesn't work. Disqualified. Disqualified, yeah, because I think the world of her. Well, Judy Dench, mm-hmm. amazing. I was watching Felicity Huffman in American Crime and very much admiring her, I don't even know if I have the words for it, her ability to inhabit and yet have ob- objectivity in the playing of her role. Yeah. It was on American Crime. I was very struck by it. Yeah. I thought, wow, I, have, I could really learn from that, you know? Yeah. That was very... Uh, I watched Laurie Metcalf. Yeah. I have met her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So she's disqualified too. <laughs> but, mm, yeah. God. She's phenomenal. Oh, I should say. And finally, uh, you've talked about, you know, you have this background in theater. So are there any parts you haven't played that you'd love to play? Or even if it's just like this is a type of character I'd love to play that I haven't gotten a chance to yet? Well, I want to play St. Joan. She's 14. I'm just going to point that out. <laughs> but um, there was a, some great English dame yeah. who said, you can only be too young to play Joan. So I'm thinking about that. Yeah. I mean, Shaw is Joan. Yeah. Imagine. What's, what draws you to that role? Her strength, her faith yeah. uh, against all odds, her intelligence, her leadership. Yeah. Ah. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, and uh, thank you for joining us. What a pleasure. Us. Thank yes. you so much. The Handmaid's Tale is on Hulu. The Leftovers is all on HBO Now. And uh, best of luck at the Emmys. Thank you so much. Thank you. I Think You're Interesting is hosted and executive produced by Todd Vanderwerf and 
In case you hadn't guessed, that's me. Vox Podcasting is headed up by Marty Moe and Jackie Goldstein. Our executive producer of audio is Nishat Kurwa. Our sound designer is Miles Ewell. Our logo design is from Victor Ware, Crystal Stevens, and Georgia Cowley. Our production manager is Alex Allreich. Our production coordinator is Paige Bethman. Our audio engineering and post-production are thanks to P3 Post. Our studio was the wonderful Village Workspaces podcast studio in Santa Monica, California. We could walk to the beach from here. It would be a long walk, but we could do it if we really wanted to. Um, Our editor is Peter Leonard. Our recording engineer is Che Brooks. Please remember to rate and review and subscribe to this podcast on, you know, whatever platform you listen to, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, you know, CastBox, Google, whatever. Uh, There are so many ways to listen to podcasts. And if you could just, you know, make a note of saying that you listen to this one there. It helps us climb in the rankings. It helps us get great guests. It helps us keep the momentum going. Uh, we will be back next week, and I'm going to tell you who we're going to have on next week. We're going to be talking to Bruce Miller, who is the head writer and showrunner of The Handmaid's Tale. Uh, and that was just a fascinating chat. So it's 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 a Handmaid's Tale palooza here on I Think You're Interesting. And Handmaid's Tale palooza is a, probably not a great thing to be saying. Anyway, until then, please remember to keep perspective step back, think about it. See you then.